in uh, Texas for a little while, and uh, while I was gone, you know, one of the things about moving south and living in the south is I'm, I wish it would snow more. That's, you know, it just doesn't snow enough, and um, so when we were gone, I was in, I was in Texas, and Kim called me, uh, what was it, Wednesday night or some Wednesday night, I believe, and said, we have like seven inches of snow here, and I was like, wow, and I was excited to get home, and there was nothing. It was gone. I mean, it just came and left. But uh, so anyway, that was I missed our big snow. But uh, it's good to be home and uh, appreciate uh, you all. Tonight, I want us to look at the book of, oh, let me just say this too. Next week is our lectureship. Um, I really hope that you will set aside as much as possible uh, plans to be here and to participate in and, and benefit from the speakers that we have coming uh, from, well, all over the country. And uh, they're men who have spent a lot of time and, and are established, and they've spent a lot of time in preparing these lessons. And uh, I think that it will be something that will benefit you. So um, if at all possible, be here as much as you can. Uh, we have singing in the evenings, and I know, you know, we've got some great song leaders that are leading singing again, and um, boy, last year it just about raised the roof, and uh, so bring somebody with you, and let them come and hear and, and participate in uh, what we have going on next week. It'll be a great week. Tonight, I want us to look at a character study. Um, we're going to look at the life of Barnabas, and I want to just pick out three qualities from his life that I believe challenge us, and we need to be challenged in these areas. And uh, so I want to look at those three things from his life and see if we can't uh, make some application. First of all, let me just say this. When I was in college, and Kim and I, well, this person actually introduced uh, Kim and me, and um, she had quite a reputation uh, for being a talker. Uh, if if anybody knew anything about anything, this girl knew it. And uh, you wouldn't be around her very long until she'd say, oh, you know what about, do you, oh, th- that person over there? What? And, and she'd just rattle, 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 just talking about people all the time. She knew everything about everybody. Consequently, I don't think there were a whole lot of people that would have trusted her very much. But her reputation, and she had a nickname. Everybody called her the Mouth of the South. That was what she was known as. I wouldn't want to have a name like that tagged to me, the Mouth of the South. That's a terrible nickname. But tonight I want us to talk about a man who we know by his nickname. And I'm sure that you know that the name Barnabas is not really the name of this man, but that's a nickname that was pinned to him by the apostles themselves. His name was Joseph, but Barnabas means son of encouragement. And he was so much of an encourager, the apostles said, there's a name for you. We're going to just tag it and it's stuck. Sometimes we get nicknames and we wish they wouldn't stick, and sometimes they don't stick and we wish they would have. This is a good one, and, and it's stuck. I wonder, and, and just ask yourself this question as we begin. If someone were to nickname you according to who you really are, your character, 
what, what would they call you? I mean, don't, don't tell me what you would like to be called. Don't tell me what your favorite nickname would be. But if somebody was just going to, to say, Steve the whatever, uh, what, what would follow that? What nickname might you have? I, I've sometimes said it might sound a little bit like, you know, uh, the seven dwarfs. Um, there, there's Grumpy and uh, maybe uh, Dopey and uh, some other things that aren't so stingy. And there, there are a lot of adjectives that uh, might describe some of the people today. But I want it to be better than that. You don't want to be known as Steve the Gossip. You don't want to be known as, uh, wouldn't you rather be known as being gracious? There's so many qualities, unforgiveness and unforgiving and being a busybody and a gossip and all those things. Those might be able to be tagged to us and they might stick. But wouldn't you rather be known as the thankful and the forgiving and the gracious and the encouraging? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. If you have your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 4. Because this is the first thing I want you to see from the life of this man uh, whom the apostles named Barnabas. The first thing that we see about Barnabas is his commitment to the Lord. It's worthy of imitation. You see, just to give you a little bit of background, you know, Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, there's a chapter break there, but really we're talking about the same thing and just two different people. You see, we're, we're getting an example of here's something good and here's something bad. Here's something to follow, here's something not to follow. There was a, a, fam- or there was a, a need in Jerusalem. So Barnabas, being committed to the Lord, decides, I'm going to take this land I have and I'm going to sell it. I'm, I'm going to take the proceeds of that land and I'm going to lay it at the apostles' feet and say, here, do with it what you want. Are there people who have needs? Well, meet their needs. And that's what he did. And, you know, I can imagine how the apostles must have been taken back. Like, wow, Barnabas, you're just something else. You know, we we call you Barnabas because you're an encouragement, and here you are, you're encouraging us again. You get to chapter 5, same story, same event, Ananias and Sapphira, they know of the need. They sell, but they keep back a they, they try to make themselves look better than they are, and then we know how that story ends up. There's a contrast there. But let me ask you a question. Do we serve God? Do we have the commitment to serve God with our possessions? You see, I'll go to church, and I'll drive here, and I'll sit in my pew, and I'll listen, and I'll be patient, and I'll study. And I'll, but what happens when God says, I need? Um, what happens when service involves giving, sacrificing? It, we're not called to do that, called upon to do that very much. We live in a land primarily that everybody kind of has what they need. There aren't a whole lot of people in want that we run into on a day-to-day basis. But what happens when there is? Are we committed enough to give? Are we committed enough to reach back in our wallet and, and give money? Are we committed enough to sell something that belongs to us 
and take those proceeds and, and give to somebody else? Are we willing to take some of our possessions that, that we have and use but don't need and we could give those or loan those to somebody else and let them use them for a while? Those first century Christians, they took their possessions and said, it's not mine. Um, use them as, as need be. Right now, we have a little experiment going on, not an experiment, but a, a, a service, a ministry that's going on with five of our families. I hope you don't forget that. But there are five families here that have been trusted by the elders with $500 apiece. And they've been asked to proactively think about and brainstorm and look out for ways to minister to people. Um, get involved with them. Go up to them and, and give them some money. Participate with them. Or, or look out among yourself in your own house and, and just do it yourself. Say, well, we're going to do that too. We, we don't have to be funded. We, we, we'll, we'll do this ourselves. Do you have the commitment to the cause to the extent that you say, I, I can give to it more than just my time, but actually of my goods? The Bible tells us, Matthew 6 and verse 21, that where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. Maybe it'd be a good test. We, we don't really know where we stand until we're tested. Can you let loose of money? Can, can you give it away? Can you, can you hold loosely to the things that you own and let other people use them and benefit from them? That's what Barnabas did. I, I think it's a challenge. Are there things that you can let loose of and use it in ministry to Jesus? If so, do it. Let's get involved and, and allow our commitment to engage us in a way that is sacrificial. John tells us in 1 John 2 and verse 18 that we're to love not only in word but also in deed. What are we doing to show our love for other people? The second thing that I want you to see from the life of Barnabas, and if you have your Bible, you might want to flip it over to Acts chapter 11. Because in Acts chapter 11, the second model I see is his model of encouragement. Uh, you know, that's why he's called what he's called, because he was an encourager. And in Acts chapter 11, Saul or, or Barnabas was sent to Antioch. To do what? To encourage the brethren there. Here's the church in Jerusalem. They've sent out some missionaries and they have, well, there's new Christians in Antioch. What are we going to do? Are we going to help them? How can we help them? Well, hey, let's send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Let's send him and let him go up there and he can really encourage those brethren to cleave to the Lord. And, and that word literally means to be glued to. Sometimes we can follow. Following isn't good enough. Uh, have you ever been in a crowd with your child when your child was young? Maybe, maybe you've been in you know, the mall or a store or you know, a fair or a, you know, a theme park or something. You're not going to just trust your child to follow you. Because through no intent, you can get separated. Following isn't good enough. Barnabas was sent to Antioch 
to encourage those brethren to cleave to the Lord, not just follow Him. Grab His hand. Literally, it means to be glued to the Lord. That's the kind of man Barnabas was, and he went. He didn't say, well, you know what, can't you find somebody else to do that? I'm busy. Uh, that, that's way up there. He went. And he went and he encouraged them. And, and um, because of his encouragement, uh, I'm sure that many people remain faithful who might otherwise have, have wavered. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus has that vision. He sees the Lord. He talks to the Lord, the one he was persecuting. And now he knows he's wrong, and he comes back to Jerusalem, the very city that he sent to flight. The Christians were running from him. And now he comes back, and he says, "Uh, Guys, I I was wrong. Um, Can you uh, see to it, see fit to include me? Can I be a part of your church? And they weren't willing they thought it was a, a trick. They, they didn't want anything to do it. So what, what would have happened to this great apostle if it hadn't been for Barnabas, who comes and says, Paul, come with me. I'll take you to the leaders, and you can tell them your story. Somebody rose up. It was Barnabas who rose up to rescue Saul when everybody else was kind of leery and standoffish. What would we happen what would happen to people who who were sinners here? And they're ashamed. And they're beaten down. And they're humiliated. And they can barely muster the strength to admit it. And then to admit it and be treated like a leper? Who would stay around a group of people like that? Not very many people. But what happens when I admit my faults and my shortcomings to people who show me compassion and who encourage me and who stick to my side and don't abandon me when I fail and make mistakes and, and am less than what God wants me to be? That, that kind of a relationship th- thrives and helps people to survive. Barnabas was that kind of an encourager. In Romans chapter, what what would you think if God came to you tonight and said, listen, I want you in your life here on earth, I want you to pursue something. That might put that kind of on the top shelf for me. You know, there are some things that we are, but if God specifically said, This is something I want you to pursue. I want you to run after it, to chase after it. That tells me it's it's important. In Romans 14 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul said, Let us therefore pursue the things that make for peace and whereby we might edify one another. Have you made edification encouragement, building up the body of Christ? Have you made that a pursuit in your life? I'm not saying, do you tell the preacher at the door, hey, good job. Kind of, that that kind of just falls in your lap. And what, I'm sticking my hand out to you. I mean, it's hard to get around me. And, and so I kind of put you on the spot. But I'm talking about when you pursue, listen, I'm going to encourage so-and-so this week. 
And here's how I'm going to do it. How many of us have made encouragement a pursuit? It's what God calls us to. It's what he asks us to do. But it's easy to let that slide because we get busy with other things. Barnabas saw it as a pursuit and thus was nicknamed Barnabas. Wouldn't it be great if all of us left here today and said, this week, I'm going to pursue edification. Now, I am going to work until I encourage someone. Think of how that would ripple and what kind of an effect that that would have on the body of Christ here. In Exodus chapter 17, there's that story of uh, Israel in battle and Aaron and her. You know, every time Moses held the rod up, they were victorious. But when his hands got tired and he put his arms down, they, they began to lose. And so Aaron and her, all they did was rolled up a rock for him to sit on and they just stood there and held his hands up. Tell me they weren't key to the victory that day. And all they did was hold his hands up. But without them, they would have lost. They would have been defeated. We need people to hold each other's hands up. We need people to encourage each other. The reason people uh, leave, the reason there are scattered empty places here tonight that used to be filled by people, it's not because they found truth and went elsewhere. It more than likely is because they got discouraged and they got tired and they slipped away. It wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't a rebellion against God. It was just a weariness. We can stop that or help stop that if we'll hold each other's hands up. Barnabas was committed to the point that he gave of what was his and shared it with people who needed. He, he was an encourager. And the third thing that I think is prominent in his life is that he was a forgiver. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, we have a confrontation that Barnabas has with uh, Paul. They were traveling companions on a missionary journey. It's time to go again, and, and Barnabas, they're trying to decide, who are we going to take with us? And, and the name John Mark comes up in the conversation, and Paul says, absolutely not. I'm not going with him. And Barnabas says, I'll give the guy another chance. Let's, let's take John. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not taking John Mark. He bailed out on us on the last time we went when, when, and, and just went home and left us high and dry. I, I am not going with John Mark. And it got to be a strong contention to the point that they said, well, okay, then I'm not going with you. And Barnabas says, I, I'll just take John Mark and we'll go this way and, and you get Silas and you go that way. Um. And that's what they decided to do. Put yourself in that situation. What would you have done? I can see Paul's point. You know, they went on this first missionary journey and, and they need everybody probably and there's much to do. And then for John Mark to just up and go home, we're not told why. We're only left to imagine. But he went home. And, and the circumstances were such that Paul didn't seem to understand that decision. I don't, 
I'm not giving him a second chance. I can see Paul saying, no, we're not going to let that happen again. He had his chance. He blew it. I'm getting somebody else. While I can intellectually understand what Paul was doing, boy, I tell you, doesn't your heart tug more with Barnabas? Aren't you thankful that Barnabas was willing to say, well, wait a second, I'm going to go to bat with this guy. I know what he did wasn't right. I know he made a mistake, but I'm not willing just to throw him away yet. I'm going to go with him. We'll just go a different direction. I'm not willing to say no to John Mark. Maybe that was important to John Mark to reestablish himself and to, you know, give himself some self-esteem anyway. Like, man, I, I, what must he have been feeling about himself? I do know this, that at the end of Paul's life, he called for John Mark and, and his view of John Mark had changed. He said he would be a help to me. I, I'm thankful for a Barnabas who forgives and looks at people and the mistakes that they made and understands. I I don't want us to ever be the kind of people that we look at a person and and we look at their sin and we get a scowl on our face and we say, I don't understand how in the world you could have ever done whatever. Of course you understand. Who are you you kidding? What's this pretense? I don't understand. Well, of course you do. You've you've sinned. You've done it many times, as many times as that person has. It may not have been their sin, but you've committed others. You understand how and why people sin, weakness, ignorance, just bad moments for us. Rashness. So to come off and say, I don't understand. I'm thankful for Barnabases who say, I know you made a mistake, and we're not going to lighten it. We're not going to act like it doesn't really matter. We're not going to pretend that it doesn't have consequences. We're going to deal with it. But we're going to deal with it in the context of love. I love you, and I want to help you, and we can get past this. We need people like that in the church. Far too often, we have a lot of people who can point, say this and this and her and him, and, and, but who enlists themselves to help those people who are ensnared by sin? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul um, was dealing with probably the man from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He had been guilty of having sexual relations with his father's wife. And now he's been disciplined by the church, and it appears that he has repented if it's the same man. And Paul says to the brethren there, listen, you know that that punishment that we inflicted, um, it's sufficient. Don't keep doing it. It's done. It's sufficient. The man is back. And here's what Paul encouraged them to do, three things. And they're the same three things that we need to do. He says, number one, I want you to forgive them. And again, that that takes place right up here. I can say, all right, it's all done. I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to hold that against them anymore. So I, I can do that. That's not a problem. But he says, I want you to forgive them, and I also want you to comfort them. You can't do that up here. 
that's going to take some interaction. I'm going to have to say something. I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to show some kind of act of compassion or kindness or understanding, some way to acknowledge to them so that they say, I sure am thankful they understand. I sure am thankful they've forgiven me. I want you to forgive them. I want you to comfort them. And I want you to reaffirm your love for them. Again, that's something that doesn't take place up here. That's something you're going to have to do. Here's what I want the body of Christ at Carnes to do. When someone sins, and it's public in nature, and it's not something that they take care of between them and God, it's something that they want the church to know, I've made a mistake, and I want you to know I've changed my mind about it, and I feel awful about it, and I want your forgiveness and God's forgiveness. We all have the responsibility to do those three things. Forgive, comfort, and reaffirm our love. A lot of it can take place right here on the front pew. And, and the hugs and the things said right there, that moment, that, that's where... But for some of you, that may not be what you want to do, and that's fine. But what are you going to do? And how are you going to reaffirm and comfort that person? It's your obligation And think if you were on the receiving end. What if I went to a church and I bared my soul and I'm broken by my sin and four or five people came up and expressed gratitude for my change and my decision and I go home knowing that four or five people encouraged me tonight. That may feel good. But would you not be overwhelmed if every Christian in that congregation through the next couple weeks, somehow showed you, we love you and forgive you. That's life-changing. That's the power of forgiveness. And that's what we ought to be about. It's what God called us to do, told us to do. And that's what Barnabas did. And so tonight, I just want us to remember those three facts from the life of Barnabas and at least be challenged by them. He was a man who was committed to the point that he gave freely of what belonged to him, what he had worked for with the sweat of his brow. He, he could give that away. Let's, let's do that. Let's reach out to people and show our commitment to God by, by sharing and doing the things that make an impact in the lives of other people. Let's be people who encourage one another. Let's be people who forgive one another. Barnabas showed us the way. He had the praise of the apostles in the first century. And if we do the same things that he did then, well, we'll have the praise of the church in the 21st century. More importantly... We'll have the praise of God. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? There, there are 300 people here tonight who say, we're for you and we want you to do the right thing and they would be thrilled. As well, as the book of Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say come. Not only does God want you to respond, we want you to respond and give your life to Jesus.
And if that's your need tonight, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already, but unfaithful, and, and you want to buckle down and try to be more like Barnabas, we'll pray to, with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.